one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com dot com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help com slash sacred text. Chapter 14. The Thief. Harry opened his eyes and was dazzled by gold and green. He had no idea what had happened. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Before we begin, a huge thanks to our patrons, Katie Dobson, Juliette Jacques, oh, lovely French name, Greta Neubauer, a lovely German name, Olivia Ehrenfeit, that's an otherworldly name, and Devon Pine. Thank you so much to all of you. And of course, a shout out to our fabulous local group in Hildesheim, Germany, run by Stephen and Veronica. Hildesheim is near where I went on German exchange once. So it's pretty great because it has a lot of ice cream cafes. I love that. If you want to find out more about our local group in Hildesheim or anywhere around the world, go to our website, harrypottersacredtext.com and click on local groups. We, of course, also want to thank our committed listeners who are reviewing us using the word guillotine or guillotine in their reviews. You all are amazing. Here is a recent one. Vanessa, Casper, and the whole team, thank you so much for your guidance and wisdom over the past several weeks. You have shown me a way to engage with these books with integrity in the face of JKR's violent rhetoric, a way to move forward with intention and awareness without having to guillotine the books and this community from my life. Uh, thank you so much for writing us such a lovely review. And yeah, I'm so glad that you are finding a way to make sense of JKR and her horrible transphobia. And I'm so glad we could be part of that. Vanessa, I know you got to have a really fabulous chat with Laura T from MuggleCast and that she shared a little story that's going to start off our episode this week. It's true. She's just a really wonderful person. I had the pleasure of speaking to her on MuggleCast a few months ago. And so she owed us coming on our podcast and telling a beautiful story. And she did. She, of course, graciously came on and told a beautiful story. She can't help it. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by Laura T. Laura is one of the panelists on MuggleCast, and she also co-hosts the current affairs podcast, Millennial. Laura fell in love with Harry Potter at the age of 11 and has been analyzing the stories ever since. She joined MuggleCast when she was 16, when the only productive thing I was doing was setting the table every night, and in recent years has returned to the panel after globetrotting for a few years. Laura, welcome to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. And so you are going to be telling us a story on the theme of belonging. What do you have for us? Yeah, that's right. 
my story is about coming to terms with not belonging somewhere that you once thought you would belong. As far as I can remember, I've had two major life certainties that I loved academics and was very skilled at moving new places and being okay with it. As a kid, we moved around a lot and I always did pretty well with it. And no matter where we were, I loved and did well in school. I attended college out of state and flourished, and 10 days after graduating, moved to Costa Rica to teach English for a couple of years. I loved teaching and decided the next logical step was to return to the States and pursue my master's degree. When I got into my desired program at Columbia University in New York City, it felt perfect. I thought of myself as someone who'd prepared her whole life to pursue a rigorous academic career in a place as iconic as New York. To my 25-year-old self, it seemed perfect. But it wasn't. (laughs) Not having any kind of support system in New York, I lived alone, which I thought would be fine because I'd done it before. I thought I'd find community in my program because I'd done it before. I thought I'd find my way carve out my own special, unique spot in this place because I'd done it before. The too-long-didn't-read version of this story is that none of that came to pass. For the first time in my life, I was feeling completely isolated by my program, by the city I now called home, by the distance from my support system. At school, I felt a strong sense of imposter syndrome And though I still deeply love New York to this day, something about me trying to make it there just felt off, like forcing mismatched puzzle pieces together. This cloud hung over me for much of my time there, and this nagging sense of not belonging always seemed to be in the pit of my stomach. The only thing I could think to do was push myself through my program as quickly as I could, and I did. I finished a semester ahead of schedule and immediately after my last class, hopped in a van where my dad was waiting with all my stuff and left. On that drive home, I felt ashamed to be happy to have that chapter behind me. I couldn't help but feel like a failure for not belonging in that space. And I just thought, little Georgia Peach got chewed up and spit out by New York City. What a cliche. Over the next few months, I grappled with resentment towards my school and program, towards the city, and mostly towards myself for not fitting in an environment that it felt like my whole life had been preparing me for. It's hard to learn to be okay with something you had high expectations for not working the way you thought it would. I did return to walk commencement because I think it did still feel important to a small part of me, maybe the part that still longed to have belonged in that space. So I went back to New York accompanied by my family, and we had an amazing time. I took them to my favorite places, and we created so many positive memories there together. Now, a few years later, walking commencement doesn't really stick out to me. But having a great few days in the city I'd once felt rejected by was very healing. It made me realize that belonging can be such a relative concept. Would I have had a better experience living in New York without being in school there? Would my program have felt less suffocating if I hadn't pursued it in the urban bustle? Or was it just never meant to be? I'll never know how these alternate imagined realities might have panned out, but I'm now able to look back on that chapter of my life with a degree of acceptance I wouldn't have imagined possible when I was living it. It is uncanny how similar <laughs> experiences we have had. I... When I was 25, I went for my master's in nonprofit management. And so I found myself at business school and it was a really small cohort. And I just felt like I didn't belong at all. And like I resisted it at every turn. 
And like I like became buddies with several of the people in the program and like even still keep in touch. But I, it was like so profoundly uncomfortable for a prolonged period of time. I think that's a very common higher education experience for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the kids are going through this, right? The trio, they had found a sense of belonging at Grimmauld Place and they never thought that they would feel that sense of belonging there. But, you know, through some sort of restorative relationship with Creature, it ended up feeling a little bit like home. And now they're on the run in a totally new way. And I think we're going to see the strains of that, right? They have every reason to believe we've done this before. We can do it again. And yet we're going to see that they sort of can't, right, without at least some real ruptures happening. Right. And I think we see, you know, maybe the beginnings of Ron starting to feel a little bit, um, even if it's not the intention of Harry and Hermione to make him feel this way, he does start to feel a little bit segregated from the two of them. Right. It's almost like he's in a master's program. Yep. (laughs) Well, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and telling that great story. And also just for all of the work that you do. In the Harry Potter fandom, like you've been a real leader in the community and we're very grateful. Hey, right back at you. Oh, that's such a lovely contribution from Laura. Thanks, Vanessa. Well, Casper, since I had the pleasure of interviewing Laura, you have the pleasure of starting our 30-second recap challenge. This is a remarkably short chapter, so I'm feeling quietly confident. It was not a quiet confidence. (laughs) You shared it out loud. I could hear it. Maybe it was quiet, but like I could hear it. As soon as I said it, I knew that's what I was going to say if you didn't say it, but you said it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? Born ready, baby. On your mark. Get set. Go. So um, they land in a a kind of shady um, tree area called a forest. Uh, Turns out that's the place where the Quidditch World Cup used to be held. And that's why they know it. Um, Because Hermione's like, listen, Yaxley came with me. He probably knows Grimmauld Place. We were secret keepers. Now he knows. Oh, God. Ron is like super splinched. Um, Of course, she's already prepared a a little dittany that's ready. He gets healed. Um, Harry is on watch. They circulate watches. Ron learns that they have the locket. During the watch, he has vision. Gregorovich uh, is killed. No, yes. Um, And uh, it's terribly scary. I get so anxious when I see those numbers like reach 25 plus, like the blood just drains from my brain and I just end up like, Yaxley, bad, worried. <laughs> just. I think you did a great job. I feel like I'm the opposite of Hermione. She is, keeps her cool so well in such hard moments in this chapter. I, I would just like melt down. All right, 30 seconds on the clock for you. Okay. You ready to roll? I am. Three, two, one, go. So Harry is really worried about Ron and Hermione's like, don't worry about it. I got it. And he's like, what? You brought a tent? Of course you brought a tent. And so they set up the tent and Hermione does all of these like blessings to keep them safe in the thing. And they're they are reminded, of course, that what happened the last time Hermione was like, oh, I just went to the first place that I thought of. And it and Harry is really confused about what Voldemort wanted from Gregorovich if he didn't want information about the twin wand cores. And he's like, why did he kill him? He didn't even get the information he wanted. What does Voldemort want? Which is a question we all have. What do you want, Voldemort? What do you want? Red eyes still smiles. <laughs> um, I really love that you describe the protective charms as blessings. Like, Hermione's just walking around the tent being like, Peace unto thee, beautiful twig, and unto thee, tree. I also offer blessings of safety. <laughs> like, my mom would, like, wave her hands three times. Like, welcome in the Sabbath and then bless her children. And that's what Hermione is doing. She's like, welcome in safety. Stay away, bad vibes. So, Vanessa, let's start actually at the very beginning of the chapter. Because as soon as they land in this, like, woodland area... Harry looks over to Ron and sees that he's bleeding horrifically and learns that Ron has been splinched. And this is really a serious wound. And Hermione is afraid to do anything more serious than kind of put some dittany, you know, herbology things on it, (laughs) which kind of like just speeds up the healing process. It doesn't fix it immediately. So what do you make of this moment? This whole chapter with the three of their dynamic is so interesting for me to read under the theme of belonging because we see again and again Ron feeling left out, right? And we see it just in terms of Ron, half of him wasn't coming with them, right? Like 
That's why he's being That's, left out. Like half his body just isn't No, there. I mean, like, I don't quite know the magic of splinching, right? If like she wasn't holding him as tightly or what it was that happened. But Hermione and Harry arrive uninjured and Ron, which will happen to the thing that you don't care about as much in the move, right? Like arrives injured. Of course, I'm not ascribing intent, but I'm just saying that this is possibly how Ron receives it, right? Like you two arrived healthy. And then he constantly is saying how left out he feels, right? He gets mad at them for not having told him that they got the locket. I'm like, when did you want them to tell you this? You have been in crisis mode. They've been trying to save your life. They've been dragging you and running away from bad guys the whole time that they've had the locket and you haven't known about it. And the first chance they get, they tell you about it. And he's like, I feel left out. Why don't I know about the locket? Well, to, to be fair, it's not that they're saying, hey, Ron, we've got news. We have the locket. They're talking about the fact that they have the locket and he kind of picks up on it. So I, I understand some frustration from his side that like there could have been a moment where they were like, oh, by the way, I know you're nearly dying, <laughs> but it was worth it because we have a Horcrux. Totally. Um, I just I think that the splinching, the way that he reacts to the locket information, the way that he is like very different from their point of view on saying Voldemort's name. Right. Like, I just yes. think we're already seeing the fracture in their relationship that that Harry and Hermione, I don't think that they belong to each other more than Ron belongs to them. But I think that they mm. have a similar understanding of the mission. They belong to the mission more than Ron does mm. at this point. Ron still has split loyalties with his family. He still doesn't quite understand what it is that they're after. He doesn't quite understand what his contribution is going to be. And so I think that these things that are very innocent, right, of like not telling him directly about the locket and him being splinched are making him feel as though he doesn't belong as much. This is so interesting, Vanessa, because I actually think it gets to the heart of the experience of belonging. Because I think if we wanted to talk about Hermione or Harry in the same way, we could see ways in which they feel like they don't fully belong either. Harry literally says like, Hermione and Ron are choosing to be here, right? They could leave at any time. I'm the only one who, you know, it's either kill or be killed. And Hermione is there giving instructions on like, no, it's in that bag. No, you stay lying down. No, you have to get this together and put the tent up. She's the one who probably feels like she's carrying the whole operation on her back because, I mean, she planned for a month to put Polyjuice Potion together. She thought ahead and made sure that there was a tent, right? Like she's just eight steps ahead of wherever the boys are. And so the, the insight for me in that is that even amongst the people that we love the most, even in the places and the spaces where we feel the deepest belonging, we're always still going to feel like we're the odd one out in one way or another. Like, I, I think it's really unhelpful to hold up some sort of idealized, perfect experience of belonging where we never feel like we're the only one or that we're different or that we don't belong. Because, I mean, this is how I end my book is that like belonging only exists because we also have disconnection. Like those two things accompany one another together at the very heart of who we are as human beings. And I think we see that in this chapter. But the, the lovely thing about Ron specifically that maybe I would just add is that we have these two little moments of foreshadowing in this chapter about what is going to happen with Ron. And the first one is that when Harry wears the locket, it feels like it, it doesn't warm to his skin and it feels like icy water. Um, so there's a little hint to the moment when Ron rescues him. And then later we have this reference to him thinking about Ron and Hermione walking away. So even before we have a reference to them walking away, we have this reference or this like foreshadowing that Ron is going to come back. I, I just loved seeing that in the text this time. Yeah. And I especially love your point. The only thing I would add is you say that we all feel sometimes like we don't belong you know, even in small, really close-knit groups. And I would just say that there are always things in which we really don't belong, right? And so Ron isn't wrong, right? And Harry isn't wrong when he feels out of the loop. And Hermione isn't wrong when she feels out of the loop. And so I think that the invitation in that is to not blame other people for the moments that you feel isolated, right? Mm. Or not to project onto it, not to be like, well, you don't love me enough and that's why I feel isolated. Well, you don't want to understand what it's like to have a family out there who you're worried about. Your families are either safe or dead, right? Like, I think it's it's right. just best to take it for what it is. It's like, well, this is something we will not understand each other on. This is a way that we will not belong to one another. And like, it's yeah. sad, right? And it's something to deal with, but it's not necessarily something 
to blame anyone for or um, to try to fix even. And and they are all really trying. Like Hermione goes and picks mushrooms, which are nearly inedible. And Harry's like, I'm just going to eat them because I want to make you feel appreciated for the work that you've put in. And Ron, like he feels very strongly about using the word Voldemort. I don't know. I feel him doing his best to try and communicate his anxiety without just screaming. And he's very open to hearing Harry's vision, right? When Hermione feels very frustrated about that. And Hermione, of course, is doing all the work. So like all of them in some way are are trying, even amidst feeling that stress and that frustration, still trying to, to you know, to help each other feel that belonging. Right, to take care of each other, right? Exactly. And that's that's what I loved about Laura's story, which is that, So often I think we think about belonging as something that we just receive or even, God forbid, something that we can just consume or like show up or buy a product and then you belong. And I love that her experience of belonging came when she was an active participant, right? When she was showing her parents around New York, like when we're contributing is actually when we feel like we belong more often than we're just taking something. It's a reciprocal thing. It doesn't just happen to you. You have to help make it happen. And I think all three of them are doing that so, so well in this chapter. Can I tell you another place I really saw belonging? Yes. What I really saw was like a desire for belonging, which was that, so they land in the middle of this like place where they had camped several years ago. And Harry immediately is like, it's the forbidden forest. God, it would be so nice. Even though we would basically die, it would be so nice if we were just at Hogwarts, a place that I know and feel safe, even though I'm not, and feel a sense of belonging. And then they get Mm -hmm. attached to this new place so quickly, right? Like the body just yearns to belong somewhere. And so they're like, oh, should we move on? And they use Ron as an excuse, like, oh, we shouldn't move Ron, so we shouldn't (laughs) leave. But really, they're here now, and it already feels more like home than anywhere they would go to, even though they've only been here for five minutes, right? And like, it just shows how deeply the human condition is that we want to be rooted somewhere and how hard it is. It's like this place could be dangerous. I could be on enemy territory, but I'd rather stay. Well, and I think that sense of safety and danger is really at the heart of that feeling because they've just gone through the same experience in Grim Old Place, right? Which when they first got there later again, it's this spooky, haunted you know, unwelcoming place. But as Creature gets happier and more friendly, the text tells us it feels like a safe refuge. And the same phrase is then used later on once Hermione has put up those protected charms. So that sense of belonging and safety, I think, is a really interesting relationship, right? It's it's hard to feel like we belong if we don't actually feel safe. Like That's such a foundational part of it. And once that's there, exactly like you say, this little clearing in the woods suddenly has this sense of home. I wonder how important it is that they're using this tent that they've been in before. To me, that would give just a another element of familiarity, of of feeling like, oh, I know this flap is a little purple or broken, or you know what I mean? Like that. Just how little idiosyncrasies can help you make you feel at home, right? A little object or a place or just a pattern um, that th- that those things help us feel belonging. Which I wonder if that's also at the root of like the Ron, Hermione, Harry problem, right? Which is that I just think that even though Ron says like we're coming with you, I can just imagine I'm just entirely projecting myself onto Ron. I have no idea what his actual issues are. But I would just imagine at every turn being like, but if this was my task, I would have asked Dumbledore different questions, Right? Like, this is your thing at the end of the day, and I'm just your victim following you around. Like, this assignment doesn't belong to me. Right? Like, I am secondary on it, and you're taking the lead. And so, like, I can just imagine so much resentment building up from feeling as though it was assigned to me, but I didn't sign up for this, and I wasn't there when you got it. Hmm. That's really interesting, Vanessa. Casper, where else did you see this theme of belonging in the chapter? There is one thing that was really interesting to me that I just have a lot of questions about, which is Harry decides towards the end of the chapter to wear the locket. Obviously, he knows it's a Horcrux. What he doesn't know is that he is a Horcrux, but he can feel this kind of mini metal heart, tiny metal heart, he says, beating against his chest. And I wonder, like, do these little bits of Voldemort's soul notice one another's presence? Like, is there belonging between Harry's body and the locket in a way that there isn't when Hermione or Ron wears it? 
Yes, I love that reading. And Ron can feel something, right? He says, oh, can you feel it? But I, I don't oh, yeah. know. Like, they stay vague about it. So I don't know what they feel. Like, maybe Ron is like, can you feel how cold it is? And Harry's <laughs> like, no, I can feel its literal heartbeat. And it's trying to come home to mummy. <laughs> but, like, because they don't communicate clearly, we'll never know. But that, that is how it feels, that, that some sort of like reunion between lost family members. And to me, the bit that's powerful about that is through that reunification, like it's stronger than it was when the two things were individuals like on their own. It feels like there's something cumulative happening that is obviously pure speculation. But th that sense of like when you're with someone that you love or like a soul friend, like someone who you feel really close to, like you feel more yourself. I guess my question is like, is Voldemort's strength growing or is his danger growing as these two things are closer together than when they're far apart? Oh, that's so interesting, right? I mean, I think that those two things are inherently tied to each other, right? Like the more you love someone, the more at risk you are of pain, right? Like the reason that Voldemort split his soul seven times is because he wanted as little risk as possible. And so the more his soul is together, like the more at risk he is. If Harry were to be killed while wearing the locket, right, by some sort of thing that is capable of killing horcruxes, then Voldemort would lose two horcruxes at once. But, like, are they also stronger together? Are they also glad to be together? Like, probably. Like, this is something that we all know, right? It's the reason we're afraid to fall in love, the reason why when we get into fights, we want to dig our heels in and run away, right? Like, the more <laughs> you care about something, the more risk of pain there is. And, of course, the more risk of joy. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Is there another place in the chapter where you saw belonging show up in an interesting way? I mean, it just made me think in general about the journey quest narrative. Mm. That being on a big quest means belonging less and less to anything but the quest, right? Like relationships become less important 
home becomes less important, right? What they're going to do is get further and further away from a place where they feel at home, right? Like Harry left Hogwarts, then he left Privet Drive, then he left the borough, then he left Grimald Place. Now he's going to leave this camping ground, right? It's just places where he's spent fewer and fewer nights of his life, right? Until he's in places that he doesn't know at all. And it's only by going so far away that they're getting closer to fulfilling their mission. It's something I think about a lot in terms of our generation. So many of us moved so far away from home for college or university or for a job. And we were like, oh, internet is going to be able to keep us in touch. Quick flights are going to be able to keep us in touch. We're just going to be able to zip back and forth whenever and keep in touch with everyone. And COVID has obviously demonstrated to us the limitations of all of that. Or we felt it long before COVID. But, you know, and I think that we tell ourselves a story of like, well, I had to go to New York. I had to go to Boston. I had to go, you know, pursue graduate school. I I had to go far away in order to find my wings. And I think that's true. And that also it's really hard to continuously leave behind senses of belonging and to get further and further away from those senses of belonging. And I just think the trio is demonstrating that. The other thing that strikes me is that your explanation of like – Belonging to a mission over place also really helps me understand Ron in a whole new way in this book, because obviously for Harry, he's at the very center of this mission. Hermione can see every day the impact that she's having on the likelihood of success of this mission. And I think if I was Ron, I would start questioning pretty soon and we've talked about this before, but never this clearly, I think, his value or his contribution to the mission. And if you're feeling like, okay, the the thing I belong to is the mission, and yet the mission doesn't belong to me, I can imagine feeling lost and frustrated and uh, underappreciated or honestly a sense of kind of, well, what's the point of me being here? Yeah. So it, it, it just makes me forgive him already so much more. Me too. Yeah. I think I am absolutely the Ron of this trio, right? Like he is the character who I can imagine mm. myself into most easily by a long shot. Like I never really know my sense of purpose and I definitely never feel like the mm. most competent and prepared person in the room. And so I'd be Ron being mm. like, I have really good intentions, but like, why am I here? And I think the other thing entirely has to do with belonging. Because of what Hermione did with her parents, she has nowhere else that's craving her. Hogwarts has fallen. She has nowhere else to go where she really belongs. Harry has nowhere else to go where he belongs. Ron has options. He has his parents' house. He has Shell Cottage, right? Like, he has places where he, on a moment-to-moment basis, might feel like he belongs more, Why would I stay somewhere when I belong better somewhere else, right? It's why I never stay at parties long. I'm there for five minutes and I'm like, I don't belong here. I belong in my bed. (laughs) But I, I really think this is crucial to understanding belonging. Like so often we think about, oh, belonging is about me having like healthy relationships or good friends or, you know, that it's on this kind of social plane. But I think when we really feel belonging, it's also about being connected to a sense of lineage, right? Like family over time, a sense of like being part of a bigger story, maybe a sense of connection to place and in even like a good sense of connection to yourself, right? It's not it's not easy to feel belonging with the world around you if you feel really outside of your own body or really outside of your own life. And so all of those other dimensionalities are so rich for Ron, right? With his family, with those other places, with that sense of the world that he came from still being there, which for Harry doesn't exist. One thing I just really want to pay attention to is where they are when Ron walks away. If it is maybe the first place that they've never been to before, right? Like he was at the Quidditch World Cup And it was his family that took them there. And so they only know about this campground because of him, right? And like Grimald Place, his mom helped clean it, right? And before that, it was the borough. Like he has felt a sense of belonging to every place until now. And eventually I know that they're going to like go to the Forest of Dean, which is somewhere that Hermione went without Ron. And I just wonder if part of why he's still able to – stick around even though he's been splinched and is uncomfortable and there's no plan it's just like right like you just feel better when you know your way around 
And I think that what happens, right, Ron comes back and he comes back because he wants to come back, which is beautiful. But I think the reason he stays isn't necessarily because of the lesson he learned, but it's because Harry says you destroy the Horcrux, right? And because Ron is like, oh, an extra body is necessary and he saves Harry's life. I think from now on, he feels like he belongs because he has served a purpose and has realized that, oh, I'm going to always feel like I belong if I am bringing something, right? Which is why we when, even when Hermione is yelling at him, like, stop fidgeting with the radio. He's like, no, I need to keep contributing and you're going to be glad I turned on the radio station, right? And so I think that, you know, just trying to be of service to the people who you care about, right, will make you feel like you belong. And again, we see it in this chapter in some sweet ways, like Hermione making a cup of tea. We know that that's the way that the Weasley family like approaches the hard moments. And I would say it's a really essential element of British culture of like, if something hard is happening, whether it's difficult news or everyone's just come home from a stressful experience, like putting on the kettle for a cup of tea is such a, it's such a small, but such a powerful way of showing that care and kind of building that sense of belonging, especially I think around food and drink is really important, right? Um, just that sense of sharing something physically. It's the most effective way of building belonging is by sharing meals together. So Vanessa, it's our last time doing Chavruta together in this book, which makes me a little emotional. Um, so let's make it a good one. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. What is your Chavruta question for us today? On it. I have such a good question. So my question is about this fight that's at the center of the chapter, which is Ron not wanting to say Voldemort's name and not wanting anybody to say Voldemort's name. And yes. Harry and Hermione wanting to say his name and being like Dumbledore said his name. So my question is, is Ron wrong? Like, is he cowering in fear to an oppressor by not being willing to say his name, by not being able to say, like, you are the bad one here, right? By, like, trying to tiptoe around. And my answer is that regardless of his motivations, he ends up being right. We know by the end of book seven that Voldemort has changed like the magic around his own name that saying the name like kicks off some radar where like the Death Eaters know who said it. So I'm wondering what you make of it. Like is Ron being motivated by cowardice? Is there some sort of humility and knowledge? This is such an interesting question. And it, I mean, and as if the text wants us to talk about it, it happens twice in this chapter. So there's a real centrality to this question. And the thing that really struck me reading it this time is the way in which Ron says, treat him with some respect, right? That's the word that he chooses. And Harry is like, what? Respect? Respect is what I feel for McGonagall. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or for Dumbledore, right? Like these people who have, who have died because of Voldemort. Like I detest him, right? Like, so... It's really interesting to think about the fact that Ron ultimately is correct. Because I think for Harry, a lot of what it's about is like signaling strength or confidence or like wanting to be seen as an equal to Voldemort, which of course he's right to do, right? He's escaped Voldemort so many times, right? Just most recently with the wand battle, neither can live while the other survives. Harry doesn't want to build this sense of subservience or inferiority because just for his self-confidence to keep going in this frankly impossible quest, he needs to feel like an equal. And so I think that act of naming is so important because it gives him a sense, I don't want to say of control, but of possibility of success. And so for Harry, what's at stake in kind of not naming is a sense of defeatism which has such huge implications for everyone. The more tricky question for me is why Hermione is so insistent about saying it. Like, what is it about for her? I, I don't know. Oh, it's about Dumbledore. Dumbledore said. Dumbledore said his name. And we're on team Dumbledore. And she, I think, has just like done a mindset of like, we follow Dumbledore. Otherwise, what they're doing makes no sense. <laughs> right? Like, it's yeah. like what they have no roadmap. They just have the things that Dumbledore did. And Ron beautifully points out, he's like, how well did that work out for Dumbledore? I mean, that's the killer blow. That's right. Yeah. He's like, it didn't work out at all. Like, we have to change the rules. And Ooh. I mean, talk about a purpose of what Ron is contributing, right? I mean, I think that one of the reasons that Ron feels uncomfortable saying it and Harry and Hermione feel more comfortable saying it is Ron was raised not saying it, right? Like, 
Ron was raised, you avoid saying it. You don't ever say it. This is a horrible word and we don't speak it. And like those kinds of habits are just really hard to get out of. Whereas Harry and Hermione always got like really bad reactions from people when they did. But their idol, Dumbledore, and then the two of them together were comfortable saying it. And so it was this in-between space. Well, Hermione got more comfortable over time. Big time. But what's so interesting to me is just that I just love that Ron is right. The word respect, I think you've really gotten to the heart of the question, which is I agree with both boys. I think that Ron is right to say, like, we need to be humble before this challenge. Mm. I don't Mm. think he's saying we need to respect Voldemort. I think he's saying we need to respect the, like, sheer fact that we are in so over our head. And this guy has an army. And at the end of the day, we're three kids. And But what he says is, I respect Voldemort, right? Mm. He's just saying, I don't know that we can beat this. And so what he's bringing is humility. And what Harry is bringing is the necessary contempt to go up against an enemy and be willing to kill something. Being like, it's not just you. You're a symbol for horrible things in the world, right? If somebody were to say to me, right, like, well, you got to offer Trump some respect. He got elected. I'd be like, no, I don't. He was a chimp who played the numbers and it was this moment in time. And right, like, I could tear down that idea of respect. But I think the thing that I wouldn't be able to argue with is, but at the end of the day, he's got the power. And I have to live in a world in which he has the power to basically just allow hundreds of thousands of people to die because he doesn't want to put on a mask. So they're not quite getting to the nuances of what one another means. But I really see both sides of this conversation. I love that. That sense of like contempt and a sense of humility. And I think it's especially important to point to the fact that Ron is injured. He can hardly lift himself off of the floor. And so the fact that he's had like in his body a real world experience right now of the power of Voldemort just gives him a real sense of like, we cannot play games. We have to treat this seriously. And of course, I mean, in this chapter, again, Harry's very body is taken over by this vision, right? He sees Voldemort kill Grogorovich. So I don't want to discount that. But but there's a sense of like, listen to the person who's been most impacted, right? And I think Ron Ron is that person right now. Well, and what Harry is seeing completely fuels his contempt, right? Like, what are you talking about, right? Like, he's just some, like, angry young man who's taking out his daddy issues on strangers, right? Like, the contempt is higher than ever. He's having to watch Voldemort, like, cruelly kill innocents. Another senseless killing. And this is the interesting thing about his vision is that Harry is confused. He's like, I thought you wanted Grigorovich to make a stronger wand. This does not make sense. Like something isn't right. And so I think there's something in Harry, which is like, like, I need to understand, like, is it this? Is it, is it that? The loveliest bit about this conversation is that at the very end of the chapter, we see the two boys on their bunk beds having a conversation in the dark, being like, do you think it's this? Maybe. Do you think it's that? Maybe. And it's that that essence. And that's what makes them belong to one another is that they can have these very opposing perspectives and yet they can lie there one above the other in a bunk bed and be like, I don't know either. Right. But we're going to we're going to do this together. Just like Havruta. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's right. Like two questions coming together and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Yes. Yeah, and not somewhere in the middle in terms of compromise, right? Not like, well, I'll only say Volda, right? <laughs> like, the, it's not like some weird in the middle half measure, right? It's saying we're both right. Yes. And maybe we're both wrong. And uh, we need to figure out, right, like what in the middle of us is right. Yeah, 100%. Amen. Well, I hope I did you proud with your last ever This is one of my faves. That's really exciting. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. 
Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Lynn. Hi, Casper, Vanessa, Ariana, and the Secret Text crew. My name is Lynn, and I'm calling in to offer a blessing for Jenny Weasley. At the start of March this year, my partner and I decided to split up. We'd been together for eight years since I was 16. And the hardest part was that there wasn't really an obvious reason to break up. I feel like when we talk about relationships, often they end when someone cheats or if you're fighting all the time. But that wasn't the case. We just grew into different paths. And about 10 days after we decided this, the pandemic broke out full force and canceled every coping mechanism that I'd been relying on from my brunch plans with friends to fitness classes. I've been feeling so many layers of loss these past months, but channeling Jenny's energy through it all has been a blessing. I actually first read the Harry Potter books when I got them as a present on my 11th birthday. And Jenny has always been my favorite character. Through my teen years, I told myself to be brave like her, to conquer my fears and step out of my comfort zone. And now we find ourselves in similar positions, both grieving the loss of a loving relationship in a time of unprecedented change and upheaval in the world. Even though Ron tells us that she was really cut out by the breakup, she goes on to revive a DA at Hogwarts and dedicates herself to the cause, grow even more in strength and compassion. I'm drawing so much inspiration from that during these hard times. So my blessing today is for Jenny and for everyone who's been dealt blow after blow over the past little while and doesn't feel like they have it in them to keep fighting, but do anyway. Thank you for your podcast and for all the good that this community has done for me. I'm so grateful for the space that you've created. Well, Lynn, my blessing is for you because I think that by sharing what you just shared, you've given strength to so many people who are listening. You are like Ginny's Patronus who are radiating out her good message to more and more people. So thank you so much. And I wish I had anything to add, but I feel like you're already looking at Ginny Weasley. So who am I in the face of Ginny Weasley? No one. So Casper, who would you like to bless today other than Lynn? I want to offer a blessing for Grigorovich. We obviously haven't spent very much time with him. We know he's a, a very skilled wand maker. We know that he has, you know, tried to avoid Voldemort. He was on the run. And I guess just the way in which he's killed is just so, it's so needless. He's just in the way. And so I, I want to offer a blessing to people who feel like you're mistreated and then just thrown to the side, like especially as a, maybe engaging with an institution or navigating a bureaucracy or, or, or dealing with a malevolent boss or something, just the way in which we can feel so thrown to the side, disregarded, used, and then, you know, like a like a candy wrapper thrown into the trash. You're actually a Neville candy wrapper. Exactly. You're a piece of treasure. And I wish that Grigorovich was still there, you know, to help build ones for the next generation of, of wizards, witches, and all magical creatures. How about you, Hermione? <laughs> was that you calling me Hermione or just guessing my blessing? It was a little bit of both. 
It was a twofer. <laughs> yeah, I'm blessing Hermione. She crushes it in this chapter. First of yes. all, I haven't blessed her in a while, and I'm like, I feel lost in my life. What's wrong? Oh, I haven't blessed Hermione in too long. Well, she gets a million blessings today. The one that I really want to call out is like, she's like, I messed up. He actually grabbed me, and I could only shake him like this. And this is the reality. And, he, and Harry is like, well, can't we go back to Grimald Place? And she's like, no. We can't. And she is just like willing to confront the harsh realities of the situation and share the news kindly, but very frankly. And she's not being self-deprecating, but she's like, I'm sorry for my role in it. And Harry's like, actually, it was my fault. And she was like, no, it's mine. And it's like both of their faults, right? And it's nobody's fault. Like battles are messy and stuff goes wrong. And like just the two of them have such a mature conversation about something with hugely like bad results. This is like huge repercussions to this mistake that they made, this these this difficult moment. And she just sets a tone of maturity and kindness and honesty and confronting the realities. And then Harry can just step into that mature conversation and they can just get into problem solving mode. And it's just it's just beautiful and she's beautiful and she's perfect and she's strong and she's a healer and she reminds me of my mom and she builds him a tent and I love her. Yes, double blessing for Hermione. She's the standout MVP this chapter. <laughs> You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can always follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about the episode. Or come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. We couldn't do this without you. And we've just added some new perks. You can leave us a review on iTunes and, of course, always send us a voicemail. Next week, we've got an Alpost episode with Lauren Sandler about homelessness, which is really worthwhile to listen to. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Boll. And we're distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Lynn for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, <laughs> I'm just now suddenly seeing like Harry's skin and this metal locket at an airport, like like soldiers coming home from <gasps> war. You know? It's you. <laughs> I missed you. Like dog jumping up, you know.